It's very good to see all of you today, and I know that there are friends and family and loved ones and people from out of town here, and I also know, uh, see a number of our students here. I'd like to welcome you home from college or the schools that you've been, uh, that you've been attending. Uh, it's great to see you. I think that uh, these sorts of reunions are beautiful. And uh, today I'd like to ask you if you'd open up your Bibles with me to the fourth chapter of Ruth, the book of Ruth. It's page 224, and I'm going to be reading that chapter to us. It's actually pretty fascinating. We've been going through the book of Ruth, and we know that we've come to that point where essentially Ruth proposed to Boaz that he marry her, and he agreed to do that because he was properly, or he was in line as a relative of her deceased husband uh, in order to, to do that. And we'll get into that a little bit later. But there was someone ahead in the family line who would come first to, uh, to claim her hand, essentially. And so Boaz needed to resolve this issue. He said that he would. And that's where we pick it up in chapter 4, verse 1. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend, and sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. And then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. He was a dead husband of Naomi. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And the man said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, and the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. And then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm a transaction. The one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. This was a matter of, of making a legal agreement. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. And then Boaz said to the elders and to all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and to Malon. Those were his sons who died, one of whom was the wife of, of Ruth as well. And also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. And then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah who together build up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah, that is 
essentially Bethlehem and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. And then the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. And he shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. And then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, A son has been born to Naomi. Because he's really a grandson. But they named him Obed. And he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And these are the generations of Perez. The Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Ram, Ram fathered Aminadab, Aminadab fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. Well, there's a lot of content here, isn't there? We're going to unpack this. It's a very significant story. Let's pray together. Father, I ask you now that you would make the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. I want to take you back just for a moment. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given, to, given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So Boaz spoke to Ruth the first time he met her in his field. I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Spoken by Ruth back to Boaz six weeks later as she lay near his side on the threshing floor at night. You, know, you can't really help read these words without really uh, thinking about Jesus, I don't think. Uh, this language of sp- coming under the wings of a redeemer, this language of coming under the wings of the Lord for refuge. He's a far greater redeemer who's given us a far greater redemption. In fact, the book of Ruth um, actually concludes by underscoring that Boaz's earthly redemption of Ruth and of Naomi was more significant than they knew in their lifetimes because it did point to the greater redemption to come, the greater redeemer to come. This is how God preserved the royal line of David, the royal line of of Judah, and uh, so that, in fact, Ruth and Boaz became the great-grandparents of David. But the royal line that was preserved in this way didn't end with David. It it was magnified. The significance was magnified beyond all human expectation when the Lord told David that his own anointed offspring or Christ would come after him and would rule forever. And that his costly redemption would not be some temporal deliverance from poverty and material desolation, but that his deliverance, his redemption would be eternal 
And so as we look at the passage this morning, I want us to keep this in mind. Let's keep in mind what this led to, what this foreshadowed, and we will return to it. But now let's think about the passage and get into it a little bit together. You know, it's by the laws and the customs of Israel that when a man died, leaving behind a childless widow, that man's nearest male relative, whether a brother or an uncle or a cousin, was to assume a great responsibility at a great cost. And so he came to be called, he was called a redeemer. He was to become the provider. He was to become the advocate. He was to become the defender of that childless widow. What did that involve? Well, let's begin with property. If the dead man, if the deceased husband had been so poor that he'd had to sell the right to his land, to cultivate his land in order to survive, then the Redeemer was to purchase that land back so that that land, the rights to cultivate that land would remain in the family. And then that Redeemer was to work that land and maintain the land, not let it fall into disrepair and so forth, but to work it, to maintain it as if it were his own. But it was to use those proceeds from the land to care for the widow. And as for her, the childless widow, if she was of childbearing age, he was to marry her so that she could bear a son who would carry on the name of the deceased husband. And that son would then grow up and he would inherit that land. And he would provide for her, his mother in her old age. So really to be a family redeemer, a kinsman redeemer, it was a very costly responsibility. That redeemer was taking on the additional duty of maintaining and cultivating land that did not belong to him, whose fruit would not belong to him but to the widow. He was to ensure the prosperity of future generations in the family by keeping that land in the family. It was amazing. And all of us just say, well, why would anyone do it? Well, it was, a matter of, it was a matter of love. It was a matter of chesed. It was a matter of God's loving kindness on his people. This is how God provided for his people in the midst of grief and sorrow and calamity. When Ruth said to Boaz, spread your wings over your servant. After Boaz had said, you've come under the Lord to have him spread his wings over you. And she said, you spring, spread your wings over your servant. All these duties of the Redeemer were implied. Ruth was looking at Boaz as God's mean, means of providing her with that, that security and that, and that future. And that noble man, Boaz, said, yes, I will do this. But there was a problem. And the problem was that the deceased husband of Naomi Elimelech and his dead son, who had been Ruth's husband as well, the deceased Elimelech had a much closer male relative in his family than Boaz, and that man had the right of redemption. He had the first right 
to come in as the Redeemer. And I want to tell you a little side story on this to kind of make this pop out a little bit more from the text for you. You remember after Ruth had sort of proposed to Boaz, Boaz raised this issue immediately. I will, but there is this complication. There is this, there is this closer relative. There's this other redeemer. He raised it immediately, and then he pledged himself to settle the matter the very next morning. So Boaz felt a tremendous urgency, didn't he, when he, when, when, when he thought about this. And he was involved in you know, full disclosure. He did not withhold it. There was something going on here that was very serious. And what I want to suggest to you is that the issue was that Boaz was deeply concerned about that man's reliability. That he did not trust that other man. I mean, after all, why hadn't that other man already come forward to come and minister to Naomi or to care for Naomi? He goes through the whole text, and that other man is never named. When uh, Boaz calls to him the next morning, the ESV version, your pew Bible version, quotes Boaz as saying, turn aside, friend. But friend is a much too respectful term. He used a phrase that rhymed, like hodgepodge or helter-skelter. It's, it's untranslatable from the, from the Hebrew. And so Jewish scholars more recently not just scholars of the Old Testament, but Jewish scholars of their Old Testament scriptures translate this, not friend. They translate it, Mr. So-and-so. Come over here, Mr. So-and-so. Hey, buddy. Hey, guy, come over here and sit down. And Boaz does not speak with him in private, which you might expect in a family situation. You know, we got a situation here, Terrence. Let's see if we can work this out. It wasn't like that. He speaks to him in front of witnesses. So that the outcome can never be questioned. The Bible says that Boaz sat at the city gate. Then he bid Mr. So-and-so to sit with him. And then gathered ten elders to sit with them. They were in session. Session literally means seated. This was court. This was a hearing in the city gate. Which is where hearings or courtroom activity occurred it was the public courtroom and Boaz in approaching Mr. So-and-so he was as shrewd as a serpent and as well as innocent as a dove he tells the guy that Naomi wants to sell the right to the land and he jumps at the choice the guy jumps at the choice and you can just imagine what he was thinking this is great she's too old to have children I don't have to marry her when she dies, the land becomes mine. It all becomes mine. All I got to do is take care of it for a few years. It doesn't pass on to somebody else and go into someone else's family. And so he announces, I will redeem it. It. The land. That land will be mine. This is a very good deal. But then Boaz says, oh, by the way, one more thing, Mr. So-and-so. Um, Ruth is involved in this and she is of childbearing age and so your responsibility is to marry her and to raise a son up with the name of the Elimelech family and then to give that land you've maintained to him. Well, Mr. So-and-so begins backpedaling. He says, I cannot redeem it for myself lest I impair my own inheritance. 
take my right of redemption for yourself. I cannot, I cannot redeem it. It's too much effort. It's too much sacrifice for no return. No, I don't really want it. Which confirmed Boaz's suspicions of this man probably in the first place. And why he wanted to make sure he was out of the picture legally, formally, as soon as possible. He had no time to invest in someone else's welfare. You know what a redeemer knows? A redeemer knows this. A redeemer, a redeemer knows that when it comes to math, the key factor, the X factor, if you will, in determining his prosperity or his well-being, the X factor is the Lord. It's not whether he's too generous. It's not whether he's too charitable. It's not whether he's too kind. And I want to say to you today, you know, the world has yet to see the first person who is ever too generous. And I say, I've said this to my children, I teach them this, you know, when you are on your dying bed, when death's dew is on your brow, as William Featherstone wrote in his, in his song, a century ago. You will never, ever regret having been too generous. That's the one thing you will never, ever regret. It's something that will comfort you. It will not be a source of regret, ever. The Lord says, a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Whoever is generous lends, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord. And the Lord is no man's debtor. He will repay him for his deed. It's absolute truth. And a redeemer understands math. That there's a factor in the equation of life that's bigger than anything that he would ever, she would ever do in the way of generosity or charity or love expressing kindness sacrificially. There's a factor that's so much greater than that. So there's nothing to worry about. Nothing. Nothing. When it comes to generosity and kindness. Nothing. So Boaz redeems Naomi. The land and Ruth. And he does this because Boaz has the heart of a redeemer. And he thinks like a redeemer. He thinks like a redeemer. He thinks like God thinks. Like God has taught him to think. Like God has taught him to live. So he is sharing the loving kindness of God. And so what happens as a result? In verse 11, the Bible says, All the people gathered for the momentous hearing. They joined the ten elders and they say this. There's no word for yes, by the way, in Hebrew. So they simply say, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together build up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem 
and may your house be like the house of Perez, whose, whom Tamar bore to Judah. Because of the offspring of the Lord. Um, because of the offspring that the Lord will give to this young woman. Now, what does this mean? It means just this, very simple. Rachel and Leah were the two matriarchs of the tribe of Judah. The whole tribe of Judah descended from them. And Tamar was very much like Ruth. Not in all ways. We won't draw all the comparisons or parallels because there are a lot of things that aren't parallel between them. But Tamar was a foreign woman who became a childless widow and yet through her was born Perez. And from Perez, the strongest family line, the strongest clan in the tribe of Judah. And so what these ladies are, or, or the people are, are crying out about and the blessing that they're, being, uh, that they're placing really on Boaz is that he would live on in his family. That was very important in ancient times. This whole idea that, that in a sense, not you physically or spiritually live on, but your, your memory, your reputation, who you are, lives on in your family. And what they're saying is, may you have a great legacy of family and children because you are a great man. You really are a redeemer. That's exactly what the blessing means. They recognize him as a true redeemer. They bless him. For his greatness. Well, Ruth and Boaz get married. And when they get married, then the Bible says God gave Ruth conception. It's an unusual construction. It's an important one in Hebrew and in the text. Because if you remember, Ruth had been married for 10 years before she was widowed. She did not have children. It's possible, perhaps, that she'd been unable to have children. But now that Boaz married her, the Bible says that God gave her conception. And when their son is born, something similar happens again that happened at the gate. It's not the uh, everyone gathered at the gate and the elders who are placing blessing now on, on, uh, on them, but it is the women who had been attending, who'd been attending to Ruth and who loved Naomi, and they place blessing, great blessing, and they sing, I think it was probably singing to Grandma Naomi. They said, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. And may His name, they're talking about the Son, may His name be renowned in Israel. And then they gave Him a name. Very unusual. They gave Him the name. And the name was Obed. And Obed means servant. He would be the servant who redeems. That, would, that is a title of destiny. That he would be renowned in Israel. So while they were speaking in terms of Naomi. He would be your redeemer. Your grandson would be your redeemer. He'd help provide for your security. He would sacrifice for you. But really also what they were saying. Was very clear from the end of the chapter. They were speaking prophetically. Redeemer. Renowned. Israel. Ruth is the story of how God preserved the royal line of Israel. It's like the gotcha at the end of the book. You think it's about this, just this lovely, you know, beautiful love story and story of kind of. No, this is how God preserved the royal line of 
Israel. The language of royalty, language befitting royalty, is used both of Ruth and Boaz. They're both called by the same word. They are virtuous or noble or valiant. And they both really acted as redeemers as well in relation to Naomi. And now the same description of redeemer is placed on their newborn son. This far uh, stretches the use of the word redeemer beyond the understanding in Old Testament law. So Ruth, Boaz, and now Obed, all three are presented as redeemers of Naomi. And for those of you who were here three weeks ago, you know how I spoke with you about the fact that Naomi embodied, was the embodiment in this story of Israel. She had not been particularly faithful to the Lord, made some very bad choices. When life turned against her, when things went badly, she became very embittered against God. Yet here are these, this line. You see this family line, this redemptive line for Naomi, who embodies Israel. And I want to say, you know, the story, this story of the preservation of the royal line is just as much the story of redemption that God had in store for his people. That the culmination of the promise to provide a king, to raise up a king, was the culmination of his promise to send a redeemer. And this really points us far beyond David. This story really does point far beyond David. This book is a profound love story, but it's not just the love story between Ruth and Boaz that led to the birth of Obed. It is a profound story of love between God and his people that led to the birth of Jesus. And I say to you this morning that you are part of this story. And if you do not think you're part of this story of God's love for his people that led to the birth of Jesus, and he loves his people still, if you do not think you're part of that story, then tell me this. How can you, this is, applies to most of you, how can you Gentiles like Ruth, how could you have ever come under the wings of Christ for refuge if you were not part of the story? And our story, the story of our own lives, I say this to you, can be just as integral to this far greater story of God's salvation coming into the world as Ruth and Boaz's story was part of this much greater story. If, and I mean this sincerely, if we love as they loved, if we embody our Redeemer as they embodied their Redeemer. You know, there are a lot of Mr. So-and-sos in the world. And there are a lot of so-and-sos, I suppose, in the churches. But God has appointed us for a role that's far greater than the role of Mr. So-and-so. If we'll seize the opportunities that God gives to us. And I want to encourage you this morning that God assures you that your labors of loving kindness are never in vain. 
You know, we read this, your labors for the Lord are never in vain. And I think we read it too narrowly because we're focused really on ourselves. So we think in terms of our labors are not in vain. Well, how do I know that? Well, we think in terms of our time frame and how if our efforts aren't, uh, haven't borne the fruit we hope for by such and such a point, then we've wasted our time. Our God has not been faithful. And nothing could be further from the truth. Our labors of love really are never in vain. Not because we're so effective, not because we're so successful in making our labors of love count, but because they are labors of love. And God uses those and weaves those into the beautiful part of the tapestry of his redemption. And standing where we are, even as Ruth and Boaz, you know, looking out sort of horizontally, so to speak, we cannot see how all the threads come together and interact. But they do. They do. And we see it so plainly in this case. Because in this case, the case of Ruth and Boaz, this is how a little town of Bethlehem came to pass. ask you to join with me in prayer. Our Father, we thank you so much for this beautiful story of Ruth. Beautiful because it's true and it's about love. It's the triumph of a redeemer. In one sense, Boaz is that redeemer. Mainly, I guess, in the story, but there's more to it. And the end of the book makes that very clear. This has always been about your redemptive purposes. And Lord, you, you do. You, you, you call us to enter into your own loving kindness, to receive it, but then to, you know, to, to share it. And not to use the very erroneous math of this world when we do it, but realize that you're the greatest factor in the equation of our lives, how our lives turn out. And when we walk in that loving kindness that you've appointed for us to walk in, the sum will be great. We need fear nothing. And I pray this day, Lord, you'd speak to our hearts and teach us not to trust in ourselves not to rely on our calculations, but to trust in you who raised the dead and to trust in you who gives all things to us that we might share them and give life to others in our relationships, with our material goods, in our words of blessing, in our sacrifices to help, and that we would do this, Lord, representing you, who open your wings and take people in, and you provide them with refuge. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.